welcome to Quills and Cloaks, a writing and fandom podcast, delving into the world of fandom discussions, author writing tips, and of course, all things Harry Potter. I'm Christy J. Whitney, and I will be your host and your professor. So unroll those parchments because class is in session. All right, welcome to Quills and Cloaks, episode six, and I am extremely excited today to have uh, and to interview two very special people in the world of the Harry Potter fan film realm, and that would be Justin Zagri and Alexander Ardson. So thank you guys for being here with me today. Thank you, Christy. So just as a matter of kind of introductions for those of my listeners that are not familiar with these two talented artists. So Justin Zagri is a filmmaker, director, writer of many projects outside of the Harry Potter world, but within the fandom, certainly known for the short films, The Greater Good and Severus Snape and the Marauders, which premiered on the YouTube channel Broad Strokes Productions in 2016. And I believe won Best Fan Film and Best of Fest at Geek Fest 2018. And is also been reviewed for uh, by Entertainment Weekly, BuzzFeed, among many others, and then also is currently working on the radio drama, The Great Wizarding War, which as we are recording this podcast, I believe is up through episode nine of 12. That's correct. And then we have Alexander Ardson, and he is an award-winning film composer and singer-songwriter in many mediums, also does original music for feature films, has quite an impressive resume, and he composed the music for both Severus Snape and the Marauders and The Great Wizarding War. So first of all, because this is the Harry Potter fandom part of my podcast, I would like to ask you both, what is your Hogwarts house, and do you have a favorite character from the book series or a favorite film in the series so we'll start with you justin uh well first of all christy you are on point my goodness you got you i was so surprised by everything from all the details you have uh as to uh getting my last name right nobody does that so thank you <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> um my hogwarts house is a gryffindor um my favorite book is the goblet of fire and my favorite movie is The Order of the Phoenix. Oh, excellent ones. Awesome. And how about you, Alex? Yeah, um, my uh, house is Slytherin, surprisingly. Yes. Um, and <laughs> Not surprisingly. <laughs> um, and I would say my favorite book is probably Order of the Phoenix. And uh, favorite movie was like Prisoners of Azkaban. Yes, excellent one, which I am currently reading out loud to my English classes right now. So apologize if my voice sounds a little shot, but we've been reading chapters out loud all day long in my English classes. Um, so before we uh, begin, and proud Slytherin, if you can't tell from the cursed child shirt that I'm wearing, um, but before we begin, I do want to say that uh, we're going to talk a lot about Severus Snape and the Marauders uh, a little bit later on in the podcast, and it is hands down my favorite fan-related story, really of anything that I've seen or read in the Harry Potter universe, and I love how well-developed uh, the characters were, and even beyond what we already knew about them in canon from the book series. But one thing that really captured me was the music in Severus Snape and the Marauders. So I love film scores, and as a writer, I always have an inspirational playlist that I usually uh, have in the background when I'm doing projects. And for years, the last two years, it's been uh, from Cursed Child, Imogene Heap's wonderful score from Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, but then also in the last two years uh, from Severus Snape and the Marauders. Uh, so I've always got that playing for inspiration. And... Um, Really, it's the music from the fan film that actually started this whole interview. So I, did, I don't know. Well, I didn't tell you this. I don't think, Alex. But my son, who's a senior in high school, he plays the cello in his orchestra. And we're both big Harry Potter fans and love Severus Snape and the Marauders and the music. So one day, unbeknownst to me, he emailed you. And he was asking if there was an orchestration available for the score. And you very quickly... Uh, just sent that to him and replied to him, which really impressed me, I think completely blew him away. And fast forward to now, I thought, you know, I'm doing this podcast, I want to use some music uh, for the intro of my podcast. 
and I really love Severus Snape and the Marauders. So I just thought I'll reach out to you because you just seemed like you were very open and very willing to kind of share. And one thing led to another. And now I've got you guys both here for this interview. So I want to say thank you for just being uh, so collaborative and uh, just being so open with sharing your music and your talents with you know, just curious and very interested people like my son, uh, who, who just was really impressed with the score. No, absolutely. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say of all my scores, like this one has been the one that is like literally reached around the world. It's been quite astonishing actually how many people around the world have commented to me from Italy and all sorts of other countries, just like thanking me for, you know, I guess creating the music, but yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a pleasure to, uh, to help them out and just, yeah, to spread, spread the music around. That is so awesome. So I, I appreciate both of you uh, being so collaborative and willing to share your story and parts of your journey, which I know is an encouragement to a lot of other people who are uh, pursuing similar paths. So without further ado, let's get to some questions that I had for you guys, uh, both in just storytelling, then also we'll talk specifically about uh, Snape and the Marauders and Wizarding War. But first and foremost, I would love to know how did the two of you uh, meet and ultimately end up coming to work together on Severus Snape and the Marauders? Uh, I mean, Alex has been my only composer for everything I've made since college. So uh, that's, uh, that's the, how we've come to work on Snape and the Marauders. But we met because he put up like a little business card on a bulletin board at my college. Uh, and I checked out his website and liked his music and asked if he'd be interested in scoring uh, one of the films I was making and he did an amazing job and he kept doing an amazing job every time we worked on something. So uh, it just, he, the reason why I say it's not surprising he's a Slytherin is because he's a go-getter. He's very ambitious and he, uh, he pushes himself to, uh, to get out there, uh, to get noticed and it's paid off for him big time. Um, but uh, he also has a really nice pool. So I like, hang, I like hanging out there a lot. I know. We can't, we can't do it this year. Hopefully next year. <laughs> I think I remember in an in a, um, interview that I listened with the two of you that, Alex, you had uh, cards posted up in a college that he saw, like, uh, with your yeah, yeah, that was Yeah, that was, that was the, I think, the, the Wizarding Award Talks Back. Um, mm -hmm. That was this sort of the same story. Yeah, I, I had um, literally, like, one of my, my dad's, clients my dad like does taxes for people in the entertainment business and one of his clients was a teacher at Columbia College and he just like offered well you know if you want like print out some stuff I can just put them around some bulletin boards and he did I guess and Justin was fortunate enough to contact me and yeah we've just been working ever since like I, I, I think I finished scoring his first short film together when I was in college in Boston actually uh, and I was literally scoring it on like a keyboard this big like a two octave keyboard and a laptop the Ber like the laptop Berkeley gave us and uh, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, I was doing like pitch bending and all sorts of, I was trying to do as much as I could with as little as I had and, and it seemed to get pulled off uh, decently. And so, yeah, we, we've uh, worked together ever since, which has been fun. That's, that's an amazing collaboration and that you guys work so well together. So kind of leading into the second question, um, so Severus Snape and the Marauders, the focus, uh, one of the things that drew me to this film is that the focus uh, is on these characters after graduation, but before the war really gets started in the Harry Potter universe. So there's so much we don't know about them, but yet there's so many rich moments in the book that I, I think really plant in our minds an idea of where these characters could have gone after graduation, but still a lot of research and digging to be done. So Justin, what kind of research did you have to do in preparation for writing Snape and the Marauders? Uh, I mean, I read all the books again. Uh, I think that's the third time I read them. Um, the second time I read through the books was the, for research for the greater good. Um, but, uh, basically I just looked for any moments that talked about, uh, James Potter, Lily, um, and Sirius Black, Peter Pettigrew, Remus, um, and, uh, paid close attention to Severus Snape, particularly his interest or disinterest, not disinterest, but pretty, pretty, pretty large loathing for Harry, uh, to better understand where that came from. Um, as well as this, under, as well as an understanding as to his feelings about Lily and um, the initial idea for Snape and the Marauders, because I put out a poll for the fans and they for, with a bunch of different options, and the biggest one by far was the Marauders. So when I looked up 
the characters and got to know more more about them uh, as well as Snape. Something stuck out to me as to uh, uh, in the end of the seventh book with uh, the prince's chapter is called the prince's memory or something like that. But um, he basically has a moment where he tries poorly to apologize to Lily for calling her a mudblood. And I just feel that I, I, I felt a little inspired by that little moment um, and said, what if he, and asked myself, what if he tried again? Um, but this time right after school ended and then what's going on right after school ended? Well, there's a war and it might be escalating like this. There's been disappearances and craziness happening throughout their tenure at school. Uh, but now it's really ramping up and now that they're leaving high school or leaving Hogwarts. Um, uh, they know they're probably going to join that war, all of them. So uh, uh, Snape sees this as a last ditch attempt to make amends with this with this girl he's known his whole life and was in love with. Um, and the Marauders, uh, when they're, you know, celebrating and then contemplating about this war, um, they see Snape and um, James Potter, who is talked about as, you know, kind of a hero and a good guy, but also is revealed to be a very big bully and quite arrogant, um, was described as getting better as he, uh, as he grew up. And I kind of wanted to explore that as to how he was getting better, but through seeing that Snape was in the bar and he knew Snape was probably going to join a very dangerous group and he felt threatened by him, both for his friends, but more selfishly for his relationship with Lily. I thought this was the perfect opportunity for them to have a final confrontation uh, with the gloves off, no school to get in their way. Um, so that was kind of the idea is to figure out um, what's their motivations for seeing each other. And uh, also from a practical point of view, getting, getting them all in uniform and in the call and in the school was uh, very difficult. So it just made practical sense to get them out of school, uh, out of uniform and, and, uh, and it just makes more interesting storytelling once they're out of school uh, and then have, have to start making uh, adult choices in a, in a world full of war. Absolutely. Yeah. And we will definitely, uh, when I, when we discuss characters a little bit later on, I want to kind of pick your brain uh, a little bit more as far as the Marauders and Snape, but, uh, you know, coming from that research to then getting to the writing point. And I know as a composer, Alex, you have kind of your style of how you develop and, and write your score. And then, you know, as a novelist, I have my way in, in how I develop. So um, specifically <sighs> talking about scripts and, and developing uh, these kind of stories, what is uh, your writing? writing process and, you know, how do you approach doing a script? Uh, have you, you know, when did you start writing scripts? How did that all come about for you as a, a director slash, uh, you know, writer? Gotcha. So um, basically I just kind of come up with a basic plot, like what is A and what is Z and then what, and then fill the letters in between. Uh, just really basic, like single sentences of like what is happening here. So uh, they're at a bar uh, they're, they're contemplating the war. Snape shows up. S James just gets the idea to attack him, justifies it to his friends. They all agree. They agree to go to a different place and fight. Uh, James is losing the fight. James loses the fight, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and uh, then build it up from there. Uh, in, a, it, it, in other words, it becomes more structured as I go along, like what are the details in between the basics? Um, my brain just works better that way rather than abstractly just writing and then seeing where it goes. Um, other filmmakers do it in a very abstract way. Uh, so it, I guess it really depends, but um, basically also asking what are my goals for this film? What am I trying to do with it? What do I wanna see in it visually? Uh, what do I wanna achieve as a director? Like I knew I wanted dramatic moments. I knew I wanted to see if I could get emotionally inducing moments, uh, big action moments, stuff that YouTubers would like, which is big action, um, uh, as well as doing the characters justice and tr doing the best I can to understand them. And uh, while at the same time having freedom to try things in, in this universe that maybe audiences hadn't seen before in the movies anyways. Uh, and at the very least, production-wise, get it to the get it to the caliber of these uh, 
of the Warner Brothers films. Which it, it definitely was, and that's one of the more impressive things about it is, is the caliber of this film is so good. Uh, so Alex, switching to your medium of composing music for films, uh, and in particular something like Snape and the Marauders, how do you uh, approach composing for something like this? Yeah, I mean, I think especially for one like this where you're definitely, at least on some level, doing a more traditional kind of film score. Um, it's not, I would say, exactly like John Williams per se, sort of a little, I don't know, like some sort of a high, well, I guess like me, but like definitely something that's not quite as perfectly magically whimsical, a little darker, a little more brooding potentially, partly just due to the nature of the story. Um, I, I, it all comes back to just like the themes. If, if the person can't, if, if the person walks away not like humming the themes, I've, I've, I've sort of failed, I feel like, and especially if, if those themes also aren't, aren't impactful and memorable at the same time, like they, they kind of need to hit both. And so I think, I want to say that I did the Snape theme first. I'm pretty certain. Um, I think I. I don't think. Now I'm trying to remember. Did I? Did I? Did I start by by playing you? The yes. Snape, theme? I think Snape, I, Snape theme came up first because we were making a Kickstarter trailer for it. Right. 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 So I. Okay. So yeah, I did. I. I thought so. I. I. So I did write the Snape theme first, but I think the first cue I played you literally. I. No. Was it, I might have, maybe I did the, 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 the opening credits first, but I feel like one of the very first things I did, I just hit you with the Marauders Unite cue, which barely changed thereafter. Like I basically, I, I think I like killed myself on that cue, the, the really big fight sequence basically, when, they all, when the Marauders all sort of come together against Snape, like I, I, I went like really, really into that cue to, to really flesh out like all the ideas. And, and that's actually a thing that I had learned uh, from a talk uh, by James Newton Howard uh, at Berkeley. He mentioned that actually what he does is rather than just scoring chronologically, pick out like one or two of the most key scenes in a film and hit those first because everything, Matt, like if those scenes don't work, then a lot of it, the music sometimes can be more ambient and more chill. And so like those scenes aren't gonna be as critical, the important to be effective as, as these really critical scenes. And so that was sort of my main, my main sort of battle was I wanna make sure like Justin loves this big main theme, this big main moment and everything else can kind of decede from there. And so that was sort of how I, how I did it, uh, kind of just slowly but surely. Uh, and I was fortunate enough where I really wanted to go all out with this, obviously. Everybody kind of like really wanted to put all of our, our efforts into it, even though it wasn't technically like a Warner Brothers production. We wanted to basically be like, no, 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 this is, this is as good as, if not better than anything that they can do. And so like I wanted to get together a bunch of like live players that I was friends with to, to do like the live flute and live fiddle playing um, and, and live cello. And then, and then for the very end at credits, we actually hired a 65-piece orchestra to record the, the end credit piece of music, The Storm Arrives, which was really, really cool. That was a really fun thing. I had to record that by satellite in uh, Budapest, Hungary, which was really fun. Oh, wow, that's amazing. And, and yeah, it just definitely, again, adds to that, that caliber of the film. So piggybacking, piggybacking, yes, off of uh, kind of how you approach writing and composing. So we, as, as authors, we talk often about the dreaded writer's block, and it's one of the most common questions I get uh, when I do panels is how do you handle writer's block? And of course, uh, it's different when you write for uh, pleasure or for a hobby and when you have a deadline and you're doing it professionally. So uh, just kind of talk, we'll, we'll continue with you, Alex. How do you handle, uh, you know, we all have those moments, I guess you would call writer's block. So as a professional who has to work on a, a deadline, uh, what, what do you use to get past that? Yeah, and I think I've mentioned this to Justin, um, a book I read uh, last year called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. I read that like, book too. It's a great it, book. Like, it like changed my entire philosophy about, about writing in any sense, like me writing music for you guys writing, uh, you know, words, obviously. Um, basically, I... So there's a difference, obviously. I am a professional film composer, so like I need to have deadlines all the time. Um, I can't necessarily speak to a hobbyist, but I still think the same thing would be the, if you really like the hobby, I still think it's the same concept, which is like you're, you're there to create something. Like you need to come away with something. It doesn't necessarily have to be the best. You want it to be, but that's not the point. The point is that you, you're creating and you can always edit later. You always have to put something on the board. So I, it's like, there's not, there, I think how I, how I got rid of writer's block is literally like, th there's no such thing, like I can't believe in writer's block. I'm going to produce something. I'm going to call upon whatever is in the ether around me to create something at the end of the day, at the end of the hour. Like I, like there's not, there's not a question now. I think I actually, um, when I was at Berkeley, I interviewed uh, film composers and, and, and like certain 
filmmaking people uh, as part of the film scoring network at Berkeley. And I think actually the last interview I ever did was with Thomas Newman. He did a very brief 30 minute interview. And when, when we at, uh, someone asked him uh, about Riders Block and he said, you just don't think, you don't talk about it. You just can't, like, it's not a thing. Like, because I think as soon as you think that it's almost like quicksand, as soon as you're in quicksand, you're just, you're just gonna go like down from there. And the more you struggle, the more you're gonna see. So you just kind of have to, a lot of what I do also is like technically, <laughs> specifically a film scoring point of view is I set up each cue I, I time it out, I, I, I mess with the tempo, I mess with the meters, and so like, I know I'm gonna hit three different hits in this three minute cue, so I make sure I line all that stuff up so I know it's gonna be hit properly. And then I'll just sort of think to myself, if I really have nothing in my mind, I'm like, okay, I know there's gonna be a timp timpani roll on the hit, so let me just put the timpani roll. I don't have to write anything again. Just slowly, kind of like, almost like, like, like tricking myself into writing something. This is, this, this is if I have writer's block, you know, if I actually am having a hard time thinking of something. And then the next thing is sometimes I'll, I'll start halfway through a cue. I won't start at the very beginning of the cue. I'll start like in this middle section because I know what to do in the middle section. And then I can kind of build around it. And I don't know if you guys can speak to that with writing, but that's kind of how I've gotten myself now, essentially away predominantly 99% of the time from writer's block is I just kind of slowly psychologically trick myself into writing the music, whether I want to or not. I think that's, that's a really good piece of advice. Trick yourself into writing. Uh, be smarter than yourself. So Justin, yeah, yeah. Um, what, what's your process for overcoming writer's block? I never the War of Art too, and it was really, really helpful because um, it kind of, uh, it kind of um, has you attack the problem from a spiritual point of view of being able to open yourself up to basically universal energy and, and just allow that to come to you and don't be impatient and don't let emotion get in the way of, uh, of ideas. Um, but there's a lot of um, techniques toward getting those ideas uh, to come to you. The first is, is you don't have to start at the beginning. Um, and uh, that, that often happens. Um, when I write a story, I wanna make sure the beginning and the end are really strong and then it takes several drafts to get the middle to uh, justify the beginning and the, and the end. Like the, make sure the end pays off and, and everyone is like excited or emotionally driven by the end through the middle. Um, I very often, uh, when I'm trying to come up with stories, um, um, I try to have a writing partner because it's just so much easier to um, run ideas back and forth. Um, in fact, whenever I feel stuck and I just say it out loud and act like someone else is in the room, meaning I'm talking to myself, um, <laughs> then uh, the ideas start popping up a lot easier. Um, and I'll also look at it from kind of a problem solving point of view. Like, what is my problem? The problem is this. Why is it a problem? Well, it, Lily is having an issue because she's at this purse. She's at this place. Okay, how do I solve that? And it's, it's kind of like putting together building blocks or putting together a Tetris, like that piece has to go somewhere and there's only a few places it can go. So if you narrow down the possibilities as to what your story issue is, um, then that really helps. And if you have a strong narrative theme, uh, like a basic plot point, a very basic plot point story of what this needs to be, um, and then you start to discover what the theme is. So for Severus Snape and the Marauders, uh, Snape needs to apologize to Lily. The conflict is James won't let him because he sees him as a threat. And the theme is um, the innocence is over for these kids and they're going to learn the hard way that they have to grow up. Um, uh, when you tackle it from those points of view, then the pieces start to put together for themselves. So it's almost to the point of where um, the ideas become cliched in one note and you're like, nope, that's, that, uh, that idea is too easy. And so the tough part is what, it, what you have to think about new ideas, ideas that people haven't seen before. But at the end of the day, when people see the film, they go, that makes sense emotionally, plot wise, and they're totally on board. So they haven't seen it before, but they can totally relate to it. So that's where the challenge of writing a good story comes in, is, is trying to get people on board because they haven't read or seen anything like it, but they can still relate to it and they can still have an emotional impact because it's always touching upon human themes and emotions. Um, so yeah, those are just a few different things 
walking around, having a writing partner and uh, not emotionally connecting yourself to how you're going to find the outcome of your, uh, of your obstacle. And I think you, you definitely hit the nail on the head because at the end of the day, you know, we're all storytellers, no matter what medium it's film, if it's, uh, you know, a novel, if it's uh, music score that we we're telling stories. So uh, Alex, in for you in particular, how do you uh, feel that you add to the storytelling process uh, by being a composer? Yeah, I mean, hopefully it depends, I guess, on the genre, but a lot of times, um, especially in dramas, horror films, thrillers especially, there's there's a psychological element that usually music helps to add sometimes that the film, although is usually still portraying, there's certain undercurrents that hopefully the music might be sort of adding this extra sort of subliminal layer that maybe the storytelling can't quite even emote. Like that's why the music can, can't, basically it's almost like a, like a different dimension, obviously. It's almost like it's adding this layer that the actors don't necessarily know how to necessarily pervase in the film, but like there's this constant current maybe going under film that kind of helps build this extra level of, 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 of emotion that might be going on. Um, and then I think, you know, obviously going more to, towards the traditional route, more of the sort of John Williams leitmotif route, you know, with this movie in particular, like it had themes for the characters. So it was in that sense actually easier. Sometimes it's hard when you don't have any themes and you're just kind of writing sort of ambient floating music because it doesn't necessarily have a center of gravity. Whereas, there's almost a, there's a, there's a, it's almost like an assignment. It's almost like a mission because like in each section of, a, of, of the movie, if the character is talking to another character, like, you know, you're going to be dealing with one or more of these people's themes. You know, a theme can be a person. It could be in, in the case of the Marauders, all of them together. Uh, it could be a concept as well. Um, and so it just depends uh, on what, what it needs. And so that like that also just helps dictate technically what theme needs to be where. Um, obviously, Snape's theme kind of also became sort of the main theme of the film as well, uh, sort of the default nature of it. Um, also, the short films, there's less time to develop the themes. And that's actually partly leading into the Great Wizarding War. What's nice about the Great Wizarding War is there's now more time to develop th those themes, but also even new themes and just how can I take those themes in different, different sort of directions, which has been really fun to play with. Yeah, and that's awesome that you talked about themes because that was that was one of the questions I had for you um, when we get into to both of those. So, speaking of stories, we'll go ahead and kind of segue into that uh, to Severus Snape and then also the Great Wizarding War. Uh, and I'll start for my listeners that are for some reason still not familiar with Severus Snape and the Marauders. Uh, hopefully, they will be after this. But the description uh, that I had uh, online that I pulled out was basically uh, four friends celebrate at a bar, graduating Hogwarts, and contemplate their future. When an old rival arrives, knowing what side Severus Snape will fight on in the war, James Potter and the Marauders confront Snape for the final time. So that's the description. And I found personally, uh, Severus Snape and the Marauders, I just discovered it by accident on YouTube uh, after it had come out. I think there may have been a million views at the time that I found it. And now I think it's well over 8 million views on YouTube and quite frankly, blew me away, uh, especially being the Snape fan uh, that I am. He is definitely my favorite character in the series. I wish I'd known about it sooner. And uh, since then it's become a, a staple in my literature and drama classes. And I use it to highlight character arcs and character developments. And also when we talk about Snape as, as a Byronic hero, because I think what this film and also what the radio play is doing is adding more depth to these characters beyond what we can get even uh, in the book series. So that being said, I want to talk about the characters for a little bit and the development process of these two pieces and also the casting process a little bit because I think that the casting was really, really spot on uh, for both of these, starting with uh, Snape and the Marauders. So um, Justin, what you know, what happened with the casting process? How did you come about uh, these main roles of James Potter, the Marauders, and uh, particularly Severus, who carries so much weight in these two pieces? Uh, I mean, I, it was, for the most part, a pretty traditional casting process. Uh, I put out feelers on uh, casting websites that are used commonly in LA, and uh, a bunch of people send headshots, and I pick out the ones that kind of feel like uh, they look the part. Um, and I bring them in for auditions and then callbacks to determine chemistry between the different actors. 
Um, and uh, it was a really fun process because everybody there, almost everybody, um, are huge Harry Potter fans and they were super excited to even give it a shot. Um, and I had, I had tons of people, several of which are not actors at all and I could tell. Um, and that was okay, but uh, um, the, the ones that were taken, that, that got the roles, um, uh, not only took it really seriously, but, ser but very much understood uh, the characters. I very much understood what I was trying to go for with the sides I gave them. Because um, I wanted to make sure that each character uh, stood out with their own issue uh, and their own um, inner conflict. Um, so uh, when, um, when we did the, especially when we did the callbacks for the guys with the Marauders and it, it, was, it turned into like an hour long just play session where I just gave them exercises and they just ran with it. And they were, I was just like, these guys are perfect. These guys are the Marauders. And uh, we, we've stayed friends ever since, like really close friends. Um, like I played, D, I played Dungeons and Dragons with, right now with Garrett, Zach and Kevin. Um, that we actually, I have to start the next one at seven in an hour. Um, but, <laughs> uh, Mick was Mick, uh, Mick Morgana Agnes was uh, very special. Um, uh, cause I was having a hard time finding a good Snape, but actually fewer people were auditioning for that role. And that role has a very specific look that is kind of hard to pull off. Um, as well as playing a subdued character that is broody and, uh, angry and um, all kinds of bubbly emotions under the surface that uh, I wanted to portray with him and also take a slightly different point of view than Alan Rickman because Alan Rickman played a character in his 30s or 40s. Um, technically he's in his, in his early 30s but the, Alan Rickman was not in his early 30s. Um, but I, I wanted to play a teenage, I wanted to make sure that it was a teenager so there was extra angst and, and uh, Un, an anger that he had a harder, harder time keeping to himself. Mm -hmm. uh, and when Mick auditioned, he did a really great job. And uh, um, he just slowly but surely showed me that he um, understood this character um, and understood how to get the right balance of broodiness and anger. Um, and then really led that anger out at the right moment um, when he, you know, starts screaming at James and then was about to kill him. Um, so, yeah. And I also purposely did not do callbacks with the other actors because I wanted to make sure that the chemistry between James and Snape was as far apart as possible. Mm -hmm. Actually, I did do call That's not, that is not true. I did do callbacks, <laughs> but it was, it was less of a, less of an intimate affair. Right. Right. So, these characters, they look the part, they sound the part, um, they're, they're spot on. But then on top of that, as you've already hinted at, Alex, the, and talked about a moment, the, the themes are so important. And this, that was another thing that I think really did set this film apart was the idea that there were themes in such a short piece um, that you were able to establish such uh, distinctive pieces of music for each character. So how, how is your process when you come up with uh, themes for characters and, and deciding how much music you need for a particular character? What is, what is that like in your process? Um, not as much necessarily how much music for the characters, but there is a process that, that me and, and, and the director, like Justin, would go through called spotting, where basically you, we watch the film together and we're like, where do we think you know, there should be music? Because you can argue, argue that it's actually just as important where there isn't music, because sometimes if you have a film that just has wall-to-wall -wall music, the music becomes less impactful then, because it just sort of floats along like wallpaper. It, it, don't, it no longer has those like rises and falls that I think St. Marauders does really well. Because actually very early on, there's like, there's like very, there's just that sort of the, the, the cold open and then there's like no music for the entire bar. It kind of just sets the scene. It's kind of, you're just sort of in the world for a while. And then once you actually, you know, go outside and everything, that's then when the music really starts to get going again. But even within that, the fight is really crazy, but then there are parts where it gets much quieter and much sort of darker and allows the actors to really take a hold of it. And that's one of the things that um, you don't always have to have like, you know, as a person's talking, you don't always have to have a theme playing underneath them. 
that becomes, I think, a little over the top. I think old Hollywood scores used to do that, where they just were playing the theme <laughs> constantly while the person was talking, which I think becomes slightly obnoxious. And so I think there is a point where you just, you know, I, I, now I think modern film scoring has discovered that you can actually let the human voice be actually part of the music, essentially. Essentially, when they're talking, you don't have to have as much orchestration going on. You can kind of just have the, you could have the chord progressions of the theme, but not the melody itself, and only bring in the melody many times when there's not as much dialogue where then it would be more impactful. But even if there, there is talking, you can start to do that. Um, and later, yeah, later on in the film, it gets a little more atonal, a little more kind of like crazy and visceral, but it still kind of comes back to a more centered core by the, by the end of it. Um, but the main, I think the main themes were, were really the Marauder's theme, Snape's theme. Snape's theme kind of like has sort of like a secondary half that actually is, I guess, the, the back half of it's sort of like Lily's theme in, in a sense. Which, become, which becomes more of like a flute instrument, like his instrument, and then you go into instruments, his instrument is cello predominantly, Lily's instrument is, is flute predominantly. Um, the Marauders are usually like a, like a fiddle, like a violin, kind of when the main sort of like more like, like really, really like when the theme really gets fast and going, ostinato strings and everything. But then also occasionally it's also horn, kind of with James, kind of like the horn, like sort of the heroic kind of Gryffindor kind of like thing, a little vibe of that, you know, kind of, you know, horns are brassy, you know, so it's similar color from the, from the uh, um, but yeah, so that, that it all kind of like, part of it just, I think, psychologically pours into my mind. It's not necessarily that I'm, I'm being like that studious about it. I think part of it also just kind of just also like locks into place, you know, unconsciously as I go along the process. Well, you definitely uh, have subconscious stuff going along because if you listen to, uh, Snape and Lily's themes, they actually connect to each other, yet at the same time, they, they feel like they're opposites. Um, but you can listen to them back to back and you can listen to them at the same time and they kind of connect. And I remember when we were talking about the Marauders, the literal definition of a Marauder is someone who roams around looking for something to steal. Um, <laughs> and uh, they've been compared to pirates, but on land. And I'm like, well, then let's play around with themes regarding so something that sounds similar to Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, I, I kind of just made it as swashbuckling as I could. That was kind of yeah. that was kind of like what what does a land swashbuckler sound like? And that's I think what kind of came out of it. And that's that's amazing. And I, I in my theater classes will play bits of the score, and I ask them just to imagine what they feel happening. Uh, they don't know anything about the film, but just what do they feel is happening in this piece of music? And that ninety nine percent of the time is it's a pirate ship. There's a fight. There's a battle. You know, so it, it definitely invokes those feelings uh, from people who don't even know uh, anything about the fan the the film. So um, moving to then the Great Wizarding War, which is a completely different medium. Uh, fantastic radio play, but Alex, how is scoring the music for The Great Wizarding War, how has that been different than doing the film? It's been interesting, but um, I wish you could talk to Jordan, but I mean, it, the, the podcast is definitely much more his, like, he steals the show with the sound, is the sound is like just surreal, honestly. Definitely. Like, pleasure just to like, like the first time I listened to an episode, I just kind of sit back and I just kind of like, I just sit there, I just enjoy myself for an afternoon, just kind of soak it in, and then I'll try to be like, okay, where, where, you know, usually Justin actually knows where the music goes, which is great. He actually kind of pre-spots, like, I think we should have it here and here, and so then I just have to go and check those places and figure out what, what that needs to be, but yeah, um, uh, that, that, that actually helped a lot. I think if Jordan did not take his game to that level, I think it would have been a little harder, because obviously I'm a film composer, so like, I'm predominantly much more, like, visually inspired, like, I need to see something to have, like, an image in my head for the music then to be created. So now the sound essentially becomes the picture to a certain extent, you know, and the actors, obviously the voice acting is incredible. And so it's like, it's just doing all of that, you know, they didn't skip a beat, the actors and everything. Um, and so it, it, it paints a great world. And when, I think when, when, when the clips are shown on YouTube with some of the fan art, I don't see that. So I only see that after the fact. I wish I could sort of see that, I guess, in conjunction to a certain extent, but I just sort of picture in my head. And since the sound is just so incredible, I can still like kind of feel like, okay, I then had a, in, a, in a way I project my own sort of image, you know, thankfully we already have images of what they were like on screen. So I can kind of project them into these different places and locations that we all know so well uh, as the story unfolds. And so, you know, kind of just taking it from there and then, and then just where would the score, how can I now expand the score? Where can I make things more interesting? Still using those themes, but kind of redeveloping them, reharmonizing them, you know, to, and there are, there are a couple of, of new themes. Uh, Luther has a theme that's, that was a fun one to create. 
Um, his thing. Yeah, his, his actually, yeah, that, I think that's like the main new theme. I don't think there's any other new, new themes, but like that one's a really, that was a really cool one to do. I think the first time it was in episode two, uh, and then it keeps kind of gets reprised once in a while. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's been, it's been really fun to just sort of take, like I said, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a more like scoring a TV show. So like you have a lot more real estate now to develop the theme. It's not like you have one minute to do this crazy fight sequence. You have like, I think in uh, episode, what is it? Seven. That's like the crazy, that I think that's the one where we did our talk back. And that one, I like, Justin, just let me go, just let me rip and just, just go crazy with the music, which was really fun to do. Oh yeah, it's definitely been just, it's nice to just kind of unwind, sit back and just let it all play in your head, which I've really enjoyed. So Justin, give me a little slice of life of bringing this uh, great Wizarding War to fruition. What, what has this taken? What has this been like um, to do this radio play? Uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun um, and it's taken much more of a, a backseat compared to Snape and the Marauders because we're just doing it for fun. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we, uh, I, I just, someone commented like, what happened to poor Remus at the end of Snape and the Marauders? And I was like, what did happen to Remus? How does that end? Because there's a very specific way to undo the spell that was put on him. And uh that i was like actually that's good storytelling the only but person who can save him is the guy who cut him i'm like how does that happen why does that happen and what happens next damn it i have to write this <laughs> but i knew but i knew that i was like uh warner brothers already said he can't raise more money and to to do this and and uh I, if i was going to do a whole series it would be like 30 grand per episode it's just and that, that even then it's like it would have been way more expensive because we would have to do more locations uh, and just get way more ambitious, have a much bigger cast. Um, but at the same time, when I chose the medium as a radio format, it made it so I had a lot more freedom because only the sound was the limit that I had to what I could portray. Um, and while that has limits too, because I have to be careful about why I'm, why a sound is where it is or, how the dialogue is written compared to um, uh, a film where you could use a simple uh, facial gesture to get something across, which doesn't work in a radio play. Um, I just found myself having a lot more freedom. So I could go into Remus changing into a werewolf, running through a, running through a suburb street. I could have a big fight. I'm gonna have much, a much bigger fight coming up soon. Um, and I can add totally new characters and I can just go nuts. So that, that, that got me really excited. Um, and also Mick had access to a world-class uh, recording studio that is normally reserved for major bands and groups like uh, the Foo Fighters and uh, R.E.M. and all these huge names. Um, uh, but we got, we got access to it for, um, for, for an extremely generous uh, offer. Um, and uh, we were able to bring in the entire cast that was needed for the scenes. And so they were able to still stay in the room and interact with each other. Uh, and the really fun part about that is that since these guys are still theater and film actors, they insisted on having some level of physicality with each other. Like they're like, can I, can I please stand next to Garrett who played James? Mick would ask me, I want to be able to look him in the eye when I'm screaming at him. Um, and uh, there's a fight coming up between James and Snape. It's kind of spoilers, but kind of not. You know it's coming. Um, and they both insisted on actually like standing in front of each other. One person records screaming their heart out while the other person stands in front of them and acts like they're fighting them. And then they'd switch. Um, so that part was just like the most fun of it all. And uh, then when it comes to when we're done recording, I put it all together and I hand it off to Jordan and Alex and let them do the thing. And I just kind of sit back and wait and relax. And it's really nice. <laughs> it's a little bit less involved. I can just let them loose and let them have their fun. And they get lots of time in between episodes to just chill out. So there's not a lot of like commitment and there's not a lot of pressure, which is the way I wanted it. I wanted it to be a very fun, relaxing, exercise um, that we all just get to do for fun. Um, and I think that's attributed and added to the 
the the power of the story and the enjoyment that everyone is having behind it. And does anyone outside of yourself and uh, your co-writer, Garrett, I believe, uh, does anyone mm-hmm. know what's happening in the next three episodes or do you keep everyone completely in the dark? Well, Alex doesn't know. <laughs> I, I find out when I listen to the episode, I'm like, oh! Yeah. Um, so uh, Mick knows. Um, he need, he, uh, everybody in the cast knows because we've finished recording everything except for like half of episode 11, but they've all read episode 11. We were going to finish recording episode 11 in March, but COVID. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been having to slowly slog through episode 10, getting little pickups here and there, which I just finished today. Got the last pickup. It's heading over to sound and music now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, then I have to figure out how to get the other half of episode 11, which is twice as long as any episode we've done. Because uh, we have a lot to wrap up and finish, um, and then episode twelve will will uh, will is also done recording. So I'll be I'll be basically going backwards just to get it all done. Um, but yeah, it's just me and Garrett and Nick and all the main cast. I kind of told like the the uh, the, the Snape and the Marauders crew because I wanted to pitch it to them uh, of the basics of where things would go, what would happen to the characters uh, to get them excited. Um, otherwise, no, it's, uh, we've been keeping it pretty nicely secret. Well, I am, I am greatly looking forward to it, especially after episode nine, which definitely left me on the edge of my seat. So I am, I'm very excited for the next three. And just curious uh, for you guys, I know there's lots of wonderful moments in both Snape and the Marauders and the Wizarding War, but is there uh, kind of a particular moment that you really enjoyed either in the process or just when you were watching it, um, a, a favorite moment from either the fan film or the radio play? I remember Snape and the Marauders had a lot of memorable moments, both joyful and painful. Um, nothing drama-related painful with Snape and the Marauders. The last day of shooting was uh, heavy downpour rain, so we only were able to shoot for four hours out of a 12-hour day. Um, so we had to really push, and I had to cut a lot of shots. And I was the weather report said we were only going to get two hours of shooting and I was scared out of my mind that we were not going to finish um but we did uh and then but like I it was an it was incredible bonding experience shooting it because due to the rain we were all stuck in a tent and we were all uh just hanging out with each other trading stories um complaining about the food and uh even though I tried really hard to get good food they everyone still complained um (laughs) And then uh, sitting in the in the edit room is just a, is always a blast. Getting every little shot whenever whenever one shot is finished, I would stop everything and watch it and write notes. Um, and then getting that big piece of the score from Alex, um, just I was expecting to be blown away, but I was also not. I I wasn't expecting to be surprised because it was a there was like a darker tone that I didn't expect that he added when. Sirius Black joins in the fight and it starts becoming two on one and then three on one and it mm-hmm. it was almost like the score was the score was trying to tell the audience like this is this shouldn't be happening. This is an action scene that is that 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 is that has moral ambiguity behind it is and is just shouldn't be happening. And I was like, Oh my god, this is amazing. There's more depth to this action now. And it's it made me so happy. Um and Wizarding War is just the gang gets back together and has lots of fun and we get to add lots of people to the gang and we have lots of fun being there. Uh, Alex showed up just to tour uh, the studio and it happened to be his birthday. So we surprised him with a birthday cake that he couldn't eat. Um, <laughs> it's quite memorable. Um, and uh, then just seeing how, just getting back uh, sound from Jordan each episode is always brilliant. Because uh, he doesn't get me anything back until it's just about done. Mm. Um, so he always melts my mind with that. And writing with Garrett was really great because that was the first time I had a uh, serious writing partner. So we, the collaborations and discoveries we made as well as the arguments we had about where to go were intense and amazing and fun. And, and were, it was just a deeply uh, ingratiating experience. 
Awesome. And do you have uh, any kind of favorite mm -hmm. moments, Alex, either that you were involved in or watched? Yeah. Um, again, yeah, I think just uh, uh, playing, I think the first major cue, the, 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 the Marauders Unite cue, I think literally the only thing that was changed was like a tempo adjustment because of, I think, I think maybe the edit changes something between the first time I, I scored and the second time. So that was like one of the few cues, which was actually like the most complicated cue and it like didn't never got really, really changed. But I like, I think I spent like a whole, I don't know, week or something on that one cue for some reason. And it wasn't a long piece of music. It was just, but it was, um, yeah. Um, and because uh, I, I had also actually been asked by another person um, uh, in Chicago for the, the sheet music for uh, Marauders Unite. Um, and, and I actually went to a performance of it in Chicago, which was really, really cool a few years ago. Is that um, the one that was recorded and on YouTube? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was mind blowing. I couldn't believe that. Yeah, it was a, it's, it's, I think it's like the north side, north side of Chicago. I don't remember the name of it. It's like the number one public school in Chicago or like in the country or I don't know. But like the girl asked me for the sheet music. Ironically, she had graduated. She was a senior. So by the time that they actually played it, she wasn't even there anymore. But uh, I went there. And it was just kind of like surreal, just having all the all the kids play the the music. Um, uh, I think that's the thing, and, and and then and then putting together the 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 sixty five piece orchestra, like actually orchestrating it for the sixty five piece orchestra and videotaping and everything uh, to show um, that was that was kind of just crazy. Cause I might it, have weeped when I watched. Yeah, it, I mean, because I, well, I I watched it live with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you even gave the, 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 the great suggestion that I had had in the score, but for some reason the players weren't doing properly, which was at the very end on the last bass note, they're supposed to do it. I, I, don't, I guess I probably hadn't added the accent, they're supposed to accent the last note, the dung, you know, for the last deep note. And, and you actually messaged me like while they were playing, like, Alex, you need to make sure like they hit that, that last note like you did in, this, in the actual, because it was a mixture of like my MIDI temp score and then their orchestra, but I wanted the orchestra to be able to play that properly. And, um, and that, because that was an amalgamation of like not only the, the orchestra, but then also uh, a couple of fiddler friends of mine that I went to college with. There were like these amazing bluegrass, specifically bluegrass fiddle players, because like I knew that they would have the sound, not the clean classical sound, but like again, swashbuckling basically, like like really like more raw, more more gritty of a sound. And so they they just immediately, I, I don't even, I think I did give them sheet music, but they're they're the kind of players that they could just hear it and they just they'll just they'll just play it, you know, perfectly. Because I was just around like bluegrass players all the time, so like that kind of sound, that kind of way that they played the rhythms was like kind of ingrained in my in my ear, and I just knew that they would be able to do that really well. But yeah, that whole process was just was just fantastic. And then yeah, I think with Great Great Wizarding War, I think episode seven when I just got to kind of like go crazy, um, that one was really fun, just because it was is a big big old action scene. And it was just, you know, cutting together. I think part of what was fun was really like cutting together, ma making sure, because one of the things that Justin had mentioned, which was the challenge, which a lot of was honestly handled more by Jordan than me, but was since you, since the fights are taking place in different locations around the, the area, the music on some level also needed to keep shifting just to kind of keep the pace of where we were. You know, if, if, if they were further away from the action, the, ac the action wouldn't be as action. So there's a period where like, it's quieter where they're all talking to each other. And then one, they start running after somebody, it ramps back up again. And you would do, you would know that if you're watching it on screen, but just hearing it, you, you need to be even more, everything just has to be more. And so that was kind of a fun experience of like, how do you really sell the, the action and like how to ebb and flow everything properly. That was tough transitioning between uh, different locations in a single battle scene with no visuals. That was, yeah. figuring out how to do that was, was tough. I had to listen to it a few times to make sure I knew where everything was. And I'm like, okay, I think yeah. I know the blueprint and I can kind of slowly piece it together. But that was another one where I don't think I necessarily scored the beginning of that, of that right off the top. I think I probably started somewhere in the middle, apart, apart like maybe in the middle or the climax where I'm like, I know exactly how this is going to go. And then kind of, again, work my way backwards to make sure that it, just like with, with Justin's screenwriting, that it, that, it, that it builds to the ending it deserves, essentially. Like it's not just fluff in the middle, like the, the, everything is there for a reason, hopefully. Right. That's, that's awesome. And, you know, you know that you've had a successful product in this when people have taken it and done other things with it, just like with Harry Potter, it's got a huge um, fan fiction community and a cosplay community. And, you know, my little world of TikTok where um, I, I cosplay as uh, Severus Snape and I've used so much audio and music from these two pieces. And I constantly have people say, what is that? What are those lines? What is that incredible music? And I'm, you know, constantly throwing them towards, uh, towards YouTube 
driven towards the podcast for that, but it's been enjoyable for me to sort of introduce more people to these two pieces because I really do think, like we talked before, the caliber of these uh, these two pieces is so great and so worthy of anything in the Harry Potter universe. So that is um, definitely kudos to you guys and to everyone that has been working on this from, from Jordan to all the actors that are in it. So um, before we wrap up with this interview, I really want to know what you guys are also both working on outside of the Harry Potter universe. Because of course we love this, but we, we all have other, other things that we do. Um, so Alex, we'll start with you. What, what are you working on now? What do you have in the pipeline for the future? Yeah, uh, I just got through finishing a couple of uh, feature films. Um, one's kind of like horror thriller and another one like an adventure comedy, very, very fun one uh, of another uh, longtime collaborator. He actually took a very long time to edit it, but I'm glad he did because it was fantastic. It was really, really sharp, very funny, really, really, really solid. Very like 80s, it was like an 80s orchestral tribal, like like the score was kind of all over the place, but that was kind of the fun part of it. It was like a very, um, very very eclectic blend of different different instruments um uh and yeah i'm about to start scoring uh, another two features uh, like another horror thriller and then more of a psychological uh thriller as well um so yeah awesome and in the, is there a place where uh people can follow you or your uh works that you do on uh, social media or website yeah probably the best places would be on instagram at alexander arntzen and then also on soundcloud at Alexander Arnson, that goes probably the best places to kind of keep up with me. I've kind of like, I need to probably get better at it, but I've been bad at updating on Facebook. I used to update on Facebook all the time and I kind of just slowly kind of shifted toward more Instagram and, and kind of that kind of stuff. That is the correct thing to do. <laughs> Sorry, I have, I have feelings about Facebook. I understand, I, and I agree with you, I'm sure. So Justin, what do you have uh, that you're currently working on or, or what's in the future for you? Well, because of COVID, I've, wrote, I've written like five different shorts uh all like meant to be easy to shoot um i just i'm dead i did one where i acted in it and i was like that's enough um and good he is he is he is putting himself down he did a fantastic job i appreciate that um and uh i shot another uh short last year that alex scored called powerless which is a horror uh, that uh, I'm working on getting funding for uh, feature length mm -hmm. that uh, the goal is to shoot next year uh, that Alex will also uh, score, God willing. Uh, if it goes to Hollywood, then I have no control over who gets hired for different departments, but I get to push whoever I want. But if it's indie, I get to hire whoever I want. So yeah, Alex would be the guy that I would want to be scoring Powerless. Um, so that's a feature length film I'm trying to get made. That's like my top priority. Um, and yeah, all the other shorts are uh, in varying degrees. One's, a, one's another horror, one's like a horror comedy. And then one's kind of an abstract sci-fi. And then another one, which I want to shoot with Mick is a sci-fi thriller um, that he, and cause, uh, he has access to a spaceship. So um, as soon as COVID, oh yeah, uh, soon, as soon as COVID is done, uh, I want to go shoot that with him, um, and uh, that's pretty much it. That's I'm just I just want to shoot all these shorts. I just bought a nice shiny camera, and uh, um, hopefully can get a feature film off the ground soon. Awesome. And where is the best place that people can go to follow you and your work and what's going on? Uh, all the social media is Justin Z Director. Awesome. So I thank you guys for uh, starting off this sort of Snape and the Marauders segment that I'm going to be doing on the podcast. And hopefully if all goes according to plan, uh, next week I'm going to be interviewing Madison Brunnailer, who Yay, plays uh, yeah, Narcissa Malfoy in The Great Wizarding War. So we're going to chat some more uh, from an actor standpoint on that. So thank you guys so much for uh, kicking this part of my podcast off. And uh, for my listeners, if you have not done so yet, I don't know what you're waiting for, but please go check out Severus Snape and the Marauders short film on YouTube and then continue the story with The Great Wizarding War, which I know is on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Is there anywhere else you have it up? Uh, it's trying so hard to get it on Spotify. Um, I've had so many technical issues with that. But yeah, Apple Podcasts is the main one uh, and YouTube. Uh, if you want to see some cool artwork uh, by some amazing volunteers. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for joining me tonight. Uh, it's been 
interesting and informative as I knew it would be. And uh, again, those of you guys go follow them, see what they're up to. And uh, I definitely, I saw the short, the little bit that you had for Powerless, and I'm, I'm very interested to see more. That looked incredible. So thank you guys very much. And thank you. I yeah. hope that you guys have a wonderful evening. You and too, Christy. Thank you. Thank you. And then I think that's it today, everyone. So thanks for joining me for Quills and Cloaks. And now dry those ink blots and gather your parchments because class is dismissed. <laughs> <laughs>